Being great at sales is essential to your business and your career, but you and I both know that the stress of selling and dealing with constant rejection could be an emotional drain. My entire brand, No BS Selling, is based on the belief that professional sales is a skill and not a personality, and that to be better at sales takes constant refinement and a dedication to your craft. This show is for salespeople and entrepreneurs who are committed to improving their sales skills and getting better results and are sick and tired of the BS game that often happens between buyers and sellers. Welcome to the No BS Sales Podcast, and I'm your host, Walker McKay. I'll help you and your sales team make selling easier, feel less cheesy, and be more lucrative. It's time to change the rules and level the playing field between you and the people you sell to. You're already good, let's be better. Welcome to the BS Sales Podcast, and today my guest is Michael Roth, whose name you may recall. He is a former professional baseball player, former famous Gamecock pitcher, um, turned commercial real estate broker in Greenville, South Carolina. He's with, uh, he's with NAI Earl Furman, a very prestigious firm up in Greenville. He's also a client of mine, and I think Michael has a great perspective about what it's like to go from professional sports into sales and also just as somebody who has recently gotten into sales in the last couple of years. So I want you to hear his perspective. Michael's a badass. I want you to listen because Michael's strong. He's strong sales guy. He has very strong um, beliefs. And I think those are things that you guys can learn from and can pick up pretty easily. So welcome to the show, Michael. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Walker. Thanks for having me. You have an interesting career in that you were this famous star baseball. I know it happened to start before that, but you were a kind of a star baseball player at University of South Carolina. But you told me before the show, you also, you started a sales career then too. Tell me what you were doing. Yeah, so back in college, um, you know, we got some scholarship money, but I didn't have a ton of money to, to go out and just mess around with. And so I got hooked up with this opportunity to buy back books. And I was like, man, this would be super easy. It's fitting some work in a short amount of time. And there's not, not a ton of work that I would do leading up to it. And so you and were buying back textbooks. So people would, a semester, they'd sell them to you instead of the bookstore. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I was like, first, I could just buy back, you know, my own books and try to make some better money <laughs> and buy back books from like friends and my teammates. I figured this would be pretty easy. Yeah. And so I remember, I think I got the job like a week before um, the semester and or before, uh, you know, exams are coming up. So that was like, obviously the big time to buy back books. Yeah. And I think I bought back like 3000. And so I was going into like the next a number semester, of books or $3,000 worth. $3,000 worth. Or okay. something. And which wasn't a ton, but it was, that's not bad for like a week lead up. Yeah. And I remember going into this thinking about how, how could I make a lot more money the next year? And so the following year, I did this thing where I went around to um, just let people know, hey, this is what I was doing, went to the sororities and like other groups and fraternities. Um, and, you know, I just felt like I was, you know, essentially just letting people know what I was up to and how I, how I could, you know, buy their book bags for typically more than what other, uh, what other groups were doing. Okay. And, and so that was really where my first experience of just sales and trying to get people to, you know, to, to let me buy their about, book back. What was the hardest thing about doing that? And, and, you know, if you had to convince people to do it, what was the hardest thing about that? Um, to, to, to be legit. I mean, to them, for them to think that I was actually going to give them cash and right. not scam them and not give them a, um, not give them less than local bookstores, right. uh, that type of thing. 
Was it hard to, to convince people that? Or, or did people go, no, you're probably scamming. They too good of a deal to be true. What was going on? Well, it was, it was essentially, um, once I got in front of them, you know, they started trusting me just in that if their friend vouched for me, like, Hey, I bought back, you know, he, he gave me more money the year before. The other thing that I started doing was I would actually take books that I knew were popular and I would go and get the price that the bookstore would pay for them. And then I would scan them. So I would show how much different, you know, that I would give about the that? same price. I would give the same proof. price on this one, but I would give you 20 or 40 bucks more on the other book. Interesting. Okay. That's pretty cool. So um, you did that for three years, four years? I did that for four semesters and three semesters and they shut us down because they, um, I think they changed their business model and I felt like I was making a ton of money. I mean, one semester I bought back like $25,000 worth of books. How much money would you make on something like that? 15%. Okay. So, so I thought $4,000. Yeah. I mean, that's, college kid, that's that. pretty damn good. Yeah, that's pretty damn good for, you know, a few weeks of work. Spent it all in Spain one, one summer, so it was <laughs> a good time. That's really great. And so then you go off to – is there any selling involved in baseball? Oh, uh, you're constantly selling yourself. I mean, Tell when me you're – um, Every day you show up, you're showing up to play for your current team. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're, you, you're not – you have to play where you are, but you're trying to play for the, a level above you. Got it. And you're also playing for the 29 other teams in the U.S. And if you get, you know, to a level, you know, I was fortunate enough to make it to the AAA and the big leagues level where you're also beginning to play for teams in Korea and Japan wow. um, and other countries. So you're not just playing for your one team. You're playing for other teams to, to keep getting a job and an opportunity to go out there and play. Let me stop for a second. You, you play, when you say you played for other teams, means like you might have to go and um, for about lack of a better term, go pinch it for somebody in, in, uh, in Korea. Well, more of, you know, for me, when I was playing, I signed a one year deal, like a one year minor league contract when I was with the, the Rangers and I was in round rock and I was in triple A, but I had a buyout in my contract. So if a team in Korea wanted to come pay me, you know, half a million, a million dollars to go play over there, they could buy me out of my contract and I would go over there and play for the season. Um, or, you know, there's always trades. I got traded from the Cubs to the Rangers and, and it was because I was pitching well for the Cubs and they just didn't have enough space you know, they had like too many guys and the Rangers right. needed, needed pitching. So you're always, you were always out there, you know, performing for the next job opportunity. Yeah. What's the, what's the next best deal I can get? How do I upgrade? Right. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. so did you ever, did you, how long did you think you were going to play professional baseball forever at one point? Uh, when I was 23 and made it to the big leagues, I did. Yeah. When I, when I broke into the big leagues, I, you know, I remember getting my first paycheck and I thought I was so rich. Um, and, um, you know, that was just a humbling year. I was nonstop. I was between double A and the big leagues um, when I was with the Angels. And I didn't spend longer than a month and a half in one location that season. Wow. So I would get, you know, called up and then sent back down and, called back up to the big leagues and then sent back down. And so it was, you know, but my first two weeks in the big leagues, I thought I would never leave. Yeah. Um, and, and then my career, I bounced around a lot, but um, that was, you know, I learned a lot in that, in those seven years of playing professional baseball of 
how to how to interact with people, you know, and, and just how to get your ass kicked too. And how to handle it when you do. So what's the prize? I mean, so from age 23, when you got invited first in the big leagues, what was probably the first thing? What surprised you the most when you got there that you didn't expect? What surprised me the most? Just the fact that it wasn't, wasn't like real life. Uh, You know, (laughs) I mean, there was so much money involved. Um, Mm -hmm. There was so much, if if I needed anything to be done, it would be done. Wow. You know, if I someone was always there to go get me lunch or do whatever, um, do my laundry, and so that was like just a huge surprise because you're oh yeah yeah. And then once you go back down to the minors, you're just some some bum uh, going to get your own damn lunch, doing your own <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that was like the biggest surprise for me, um, and also you know, the pressure that I then put on myself to like try to stay there, um, you know, cause I always viewed baseball. Like when, when I was playing baseball and I was younger, I, I played cause it was fun. I didn't, yeah. I, I don't even love watching baseball. I loved playing it. And that's why, I, that's why I wanted, you know, that's why I got involved. And the pressure that I put on myself to try to stay in the big leagues wasn't the same pressure that I put on myself to try to make it to the big leagues. Um, right. And I think that was, that was also a big change. How did that impact you, the pressure you put on yourself? What, what kind of, I mean, what happened then? Oh, you freeze. I mean, you, if, you put the, if you put this fear of failure um, in you, you know, if you have this fear of failure, then, then you can start to, you just will paralyze yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You don't, you start lacking trust in what you're doing. Um, if you get in a difficult situation, it becomes even that much more harder to, you know, to, to execute. And, you know, I learned very early on that if I didn't firmly believe that I was the best out on the mound, and even, you know, if I was facing someone that was clearly probably better than me, you know, on paper, I had to believe in myself in order to, you know, execute that pitch or get them out. And I think that's translated, you know, in the life that I'm currently living. Mm-hmm. So how did you, I mean, so you had this, and one of the things I've admired about you work with you for uh, three, four months now, but is the mindset that you have, it's always growth mindset. It's how do we figure this out? And it's one of the things I've admired, but how did you adapt to the fear? I mean, how do you address and deal with fear of failure? Because I think all of us kind of have that. At a certain to a certain extent or a certain point, how did how did you deal with that? Do you remember the steps you took, if any? Well, one of the things that I started doing um, in college that I didn't realize until later on that it was actually a thing um, was I, I started to like, you know, everyone talks about visualization um, and visualizing good outcomes is great, right. but I also used to visualize negative outcomes, and a lot of it was, you know. If, if I go out there and, and I pitch poorly or perform poorly, what would happen? What would be the worst thing that could, could happen? Um, yeah. And, you know, if I had to go talk to the media, how would I respond? How would I respond? Um, if I, you know, I wasn't married at the time, but, you know, if I had to talk to my family, like what would, you know, what, what was the worst outcome? And typically uh-huh. what, when you're in the situation, um, when you're in, 
when you're in a, a situation that feels, you know, unbearable, it feels hard to deal with, mm -hmm. your worst outcome is usually a lot, is, is usually, um, you think it's a lot worse. Yeah, But if absolutely. you realize, you know, if you really think about it and you, you know, you start thinking rationally, the outcome's not that bad, right? Nice. It's like, okay, well, I just, I just pitched like shit one night. I'll, I'll throw again in five days. Yeah. Um, or, you know, man, I just missed that deal. You know, there will be another one. Um, right. or I'll have to go find another one. Right. And it's not, Oh, I'm going to get, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to miss my mortgage payment. I'm going to be eating rice and beans. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so it's interesting too. I have a, uh, I have a coach I work with some and, and he talks about, it's just, it's kind of the flip side of this. I think it's related though. He talks about procrastination being a fear of success. He said, whenever you procrastinate, he said, it's a fear of success. And I never thought about it that way. And he said, he said in your mind, he accused me of this a couple of times. He said, you're not doing this because you're afraid if it works well, you won't know what to do then. And I think it's an interesting, I'd never been challenged with that before because I was like, hell, I'm not afraid of success, but it's funny how that kind of stuff does, does face us and how we got to play those games. And so I love how you visualize the negative outcomes. And when I need to start, what I need to think through more is the positive outcomes and how this is going to work for me and how I will continue to build around it. So, um, so why commercial real estate? Well, uh, part of that was, you know, just came from my baseball career too. You know, I was traveling um, from 2012, uh, you know, until 2017, 18, um, all over, you know, from every city to New Orleans, to Sacramento, San Francisco, New York, wow. yeah, Chicago, um, and to Des Moines, like these just, you know, small towns, but everywhere, there were cranes everywhere, there were buildings everywhere, and... And I would just buy, I would pass thing and I'd be like, man, how are they making money doing this? And in 2016, when I was in Round Rock, which is just outside of Austin, um, we had a, uh, a really good team, a really fun team, but one of the richest guys, and this was AAA, um, and we had some guys that had some significant time in the big leagues and, you know, made a good amount of money. But one of the wealthiest guys on the team was our volunteer first base coach. <laughs> um, and being a starting pitcher, you know, I wasn't doing shit for most of the games. Um, I would throw one, you know, once out of five days. Yeah. So I would sit here and talk with this guy. Um, his name was Brian, and we would talk, and he would just – we'd sit in the dugout, and I'd, you know, talk to him about these deals that he was doing. Um, he wasn't a commercial broker, but he was investing in all these deals. He was a buyer, yeah. And – and uh, he had done some development. He runs like three other companies. So he was just sharing all this stuff with me. And, um, you know, I would go and like, I would get lunch with him every time we were at home just because I was like craving this knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember it was like August and we were getting ready to wrap up the season. And I was like, I just need to learn more about commercial real estate, about this investment stuff, you know, trying reading a book, trying to understand what a cap rate is and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that. Um, and so I just started making phone calls like to people back at home to figure out how I could, you know, get access to this knowledge to figure out what commercial real estate is really all about. Um, and that's how I started. I, one of the first guys I called was a developer and, um, he kind of blew me off and then I ended up calling, um, a buddy who I knew worked at NAIRL Furman and he was like, come on over and grab, you know, grab coffee with me. And, and then we ran over to the office, which was right next door. 
And I just told them, you know, I don't, you know, I got hooked up with uh, the team that I'm with now. And they were asking me like, what are you looking for? I was like, I just need knowledge. Like I just want access to deals. You don't have to pay me. I was like, so I went and got licensed, did all that mess and learned a ton as an intern in that fall of 2016. So you were playing baseball and you're an intern in your spare time. Yeah. I mean, well, in the off season, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, yeah, yeah. It yeah. runs from like February, you know, you're out in Arizona from February until September. So okay. back home, you know, when I was home, I was essentially working like a 40 hour week. I would just work out, work out in the morning, throw, you know, in the afternoon. I mean, there's only so long that you could do that. Anyways. Right, 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 right. So I would go in and scroll around on GIS and try to figure out, you know, go to meetings with my team and mm-hmm. just, learn as much as I could about it and specific focus now in in real estate yeah um I would say right now we don't focus on you know one specific product type my the typically my clients are business leaders business owners that don't have time to mess with their commercial real estate um and also working with investors just uh, sometimes that's development property uh, redevelopment or just, they're just buying a, you know, something for some cash flow. So you've been full time this thing for two years or three years, two years, two years. And so let me ask you again, what surprised you the most from what you expected versus where you are about commercial real estate? What surprised me the most was in that first year of, you know, thinking I wouldn't know what I was doing mm-hmm. was what surprised me the most was that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. <laughs> um, you know, it was like a nice, it was a, yeah, essentially I learned that I didn't know shit. Right. Um, and it was more about selling. It was more about interacting with prospects and clients. Tell me, tell me about that because you're right. Most people want to go in and in whatever their business is and they want to learn all about the product or the service, but it's not till later that they kind of learn it's really more about people. Is that what you found? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember someone asked me why I got into commercial real estate and not, you know, residential real estate. And I was like, well, commercial real estate is all about, you know, the numbers. People are going to buy this stuff logically. I said the um, same damn thing. What a lie. <laughs> yeah, it is such, it is such shit. I mean, and as I've learned is like, nobody makes decisions logically. I mean, I don't even make decisions logically. So no. I don't know why I would think other people do. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that I've realized is, is that you, if I would have gotten a psychology degree, that would have been maybe a little bit more helpful than my marketing degree, you know? Um, uh, so you studied marketing. So tell me what's the difference. You, you and I told this beforehand too. You realize there's a difference between marketing and sales. Describe what marketing is for me. And then we'll talk about what sales is. Well, yeah, I, marketing. I felt like, um, you know, when I was doing that book buyback, that yeah. was all marketing in a sense where I would just go and, you know, I'd go and talk in front of a sorority or fraternity and just say, Hey, here's the company. This is what we do. Um, you know, there was nothing that I was really immediately selling. Um, and so there was, um, I wasn't exactly, uh, sure what would happen, you know, for that, I I just wasn't, you know, marketing that I just didn't have to sell right away. But the, um, the, 
when I got into commercial real estate, you know, I thought I could do that. Hey, this is, you know, this is Michael, this is our company. This is what we do. Um, yeah, to me. And that, that wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't the case, you know, <laughs> the yeah. selling is really getting into figuring out what's, what's their pain. Like, why are they doing something or can I even help them? Is there, is there a reason that I'm even talking to them? Right. And so what are some reasons that you've come across that people are say buying or selling commercial real estate that people might be, that my audience might be surprised by? Cause not a lot of them are in that, in that business specifically. What are some reasons that people might buy or sell that are not what people would think? Um, just cause they want that building. I mean, <laughs> simply they just think it's a cool building. It has nothing to do with the return. They're just like, man, that's a, I like that building. Um, <sighs> Always and have, and don't, don't care if I'm overpaying. Don't care if I'm getting a 5% return. Right. It's just, a, I think that's a cool thing. It's great real estate to own, um, you know, in, in this area. Um, and then some of it's the, the other thing is just uh, businesses not knowing or caring whether they lease or buy. Some of them don't care at all, which is just interesting because, you know, in going through classes, there's, there's all these ways to analyze it. Um, but what I found is, you know, and I'm from the South, a lot of Southerners feel like rent is like throwing away, throwing money away, money, throwing yeah. money away. And yeah. other groups are just saying that we would never, you know, we'll, we'll never buy anything. We will only rent. So it's yeah, just it doesn't make sense to put on how, each, how each company values, you know, their real estate in different ways. And so could you say with a straight face that one was right or wrong? No, I mean, yeah, I, I right. Kinda, Bingo. A plus. Yeah, it's 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 their preference. Yeah, right. And it's our job to figure out what their preference is, and and then help them with that. Um, so, so that's pretty cool. So, um, what is what's happened in the last three or four weeks? You know, we're in this friggin' COVID crisis. What what's happened to your business, or what, what's what's changed from three or four weeks ago? Yeah. Um, well, the, the biggest thing is just every conversation is obviously dominated by this COVID um, scenario. You know, I've had several deals blow up or put on hold because of that. And are you hearing this banging sound? I need to get out. A little bit. Yeah. Um, right there. Yeah. It's like underneath me. Um, so, yeah, every every conversation has been dominated by COVID, which is understandable. I mean, with these tenants having um, to pay rent, uh, but their businesses are closed down. And so, you know, my tenant clients are, are unsure of, you know, how to keep their business moving. Um, our landlords, you know, our, our investors are unsure of how to, you know, wh whether they interact with their banks and get deferrals. Um, and even, even those that aren't highly leveraged, uh, just because you don't want to come out of your pocket that much. Right. And so the biggest difference is, you know, there's not, initially, there's not a ton of movement. You know, some groups are business as usual, but others have, others are slammed on the brakes because they want to figure out where's the end of this. If they're, yeah. you know, where, when is the end of it is the biggest question. Yeah. As if anybody and, really knows. Right. And, so it's what I've realized is you're just trying to offer, you know, a lending, like an ear yeah. to say, 
Hey, how, how can I help you? Um, and people are saying, Hey, my business just tanked 50%. And it's like, man, that, that sucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I say, right. What else do you say? Right. Yeah. I mean, and so how else, I mean, knowing that transactions may, may fall back a little bit in their velocity, right? You've had a bunch of transactions that have blown up in the last couple of weeks. What are some things that you're doing um, to kind of continue to stay in business and to be relevant and to help people who may not be ready to buy or sell? Well, real estate, and I feel most sales is a long game. Yeah, you're, you know, what I'm doing today isn't to pay me today. It's to pay me three, four, or five months from now. Yeah. Um, and so even what I did three, four, or five months ago, you know, hopefully would pay me today. Some of that stuff may not be happening, yeah. or maybe putting on the, you know, maybe slamming on the brakes, but that doesn't mean that I can't keep working for, you know, the future. Um, so really it's just trying to, you know, and I've, we've talked about this is really just be different. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid to talk to people right now because mm -hmm. you have to have those tough conversations. Yeah. of just saying, man, my business is taking a hit and it's like, how long can you survive? You know, yeah. man, that sucks. All right are you and your family okay? Um, and so dealing with that, you know, just making sure that you're, you're still working to make calls, mm -hmm. you know, now. How do you deal with, how, so how does that relate to, so you're having the personal calls, which I am a hundred percent in favor of. How do you have business conversations, this environment? Um, I would just say, for me, it's all, it's inter, intertwined and not, not just, I'm not making solely personal calls and asking them how they're doing. It's, Hey, how's your business? How's your business going? Yeah. You know, are you, how are you, how are you guys handling this? Mm -hmm. You know, is there, is there any way that I can help? You know, yeah. are you talking to, have you talked to, have you talked to your tenants? You know, yeah. do you, do you, how do you think this will impact you three or four months from now? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's somewhat intertwined, you know, I'm not strictly going through the jugular and saying, <laughs> Hey, you guys are screwed. You probably should sell something. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more of just trying to be different than the guy that's, you know, just calling them and seeing if they want to switch their listing agreement. Yeah. One of the things you and I talked about earlier today was offering some, you know, advisory services. And quite frankly, maybe it's something you were giving away for free before, but there's an opportunity um, that you can dig in further and really help people by having a, an advisory fee or you charge a, a fee to actually right. help with advice for a transaction isn't, um, is it necessary or is it the right move right now? Have you had any, any success offering that? Well, I would say, um, that's not something I've implemented yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but something that I have learned from you and that I've implemented since we started working together was not offering advice for free. Um, and interesting. So not giving know, away free information to start with. Right. Yeah. Not, not providing any sort of free information. Um, and that's simply because what I've realized is the way that I make money is by my knowledge. Um, yeah. you know, by, yeah, I'm a broker and I, I, you know, partner someone who wants to sell their building with someone who wants to buy it. But, but 
my knowledge of the market and of of that asset class, you know, is really what gets me paid. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I learned, you know, my first year, my first couple years, I was like, hey, you know, this is all I know. I know this. I know this about the market. You know, look at me. I'm so smart. Right. Um, and there I went and I just gave them everything that they needed to know. And, you know, so for what I've tried to do is I don't provide any information. Um, you know, I just try to talk to them and ask yeah. them questions. Yep. And instead of, instead of me talking, yep. you know, let them do all the talking. So I think it's great you're getting them to share their opinions because those are the ones they care about anyway. Um, can, I, can I tell you a couple things that I've uh, learned from you today? Yeah. I love, the, um, I love where you, um, the fear of failure, how you dealt with that was you do a visualization of what really bad could look like. And you begin to realize over time that it, you know, the worst thing that could happen really wasn't life ending for you, right? It wasn't anything that you couldn't, um, you couldn't handle on your own. And I thought that was really cool. Um, I also like the way you kind of define marketing as, you know, letting people know you're out there, which is different than sales, which is actually having a conversation about how you could work together. And I think that's a, that's something a lot of people don't ever assume. They don't ever know the difference. Um, so I think right. that's really cool. Let me, let me catch you kind of with a question I didn't prepare you for. And so handle it however you want. But Michael, what's the kindest thing that anybody's ever done for you? Uh, kindest thing that anybody's ever done for me. Mm -hmm. um, I would say just offered, like offered help, you know, given, like told me the truth. Give me the an example. Um, when... When I was playing, um, you know, when I was playing, I had a coach that kind of pulled me aside um, professionally. And and I had been pitching pretty well, and I was acting a little bit bitter as to why I wasn't getting some other opportunities. And he just pulled me aside, and he was like, you know, hey, man, I know you're doing – you're having a great season. It's awesome. But you're acting like a prick right now. And mm. – um, you know, I hope you continue to have a great, great season, but we all know how this game treats you and how this, you know, so just remember that this run that you're on won't always last. Wow. And so you need to remember, you know, start be act like you did before you, you know, you were pitching so well. And so what that great advice. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's, and we, I think we all have the ability to, we all have that tendency to kind of float sometimes out mm -hmm. of our, maybe our, our norm of how we would act. Um, and so that's why we need to have, you know, a mentor or a coach or just someone to come along and just constantly like yank you back. I mean, you, you kind of have to have someone that will, will, uh, it's not afraid to you know speak into you and, and tell you the truth. It's really, really great. Great answer, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Michael, how would people get in touch with you? I mean, how would, how would somebody find you if you want to talk to you about commercial real estate or your experience or whatever else? How would somebody find you? Well, you can find me on all social channels, um, mtroth29, so that's Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm Michael Roth. Uh, I think it says I'll, I'll be the commercial real estate broker with NAI or Furman, or you can email me at mroth at naief.com. 
Perfect. We'll have that stuff in the show notes so people can see it as well. Um, Michael, thank you so much for, um, for sharing your story and doing that. No BS sales team. Um, we are, I ask you to keep moving, keep making phone calls, keep prospecting, be human. As you make calls, realize the world has changed and I want you to be more empathetic. I want you to ask people how they're doing. And I want you to really be curious. I want you to listen um, and be a human being um, and understand that, as Michael said, as we say, you playing the long game out here, but there is business to be had, but you got to go out and find it. Um, if you want to get my newsletter, I send out a newsletter sometimes twice a week, uh, sometimes once a week. that has got articles I'm reading, latest podcast issue, video or two I've put out, um, a book list that I have, things like that, and just some relevant stuff that may help you in this time. Um, if you want to get on the newsletter list, it's text the letters N-O-B-S, no spaces, no BS, to the number 66866. 66866. Also a free video series we just produced. It's called It's Seven Sales Mistakes. So the number seven salesmistakes.com, you get a there's a free video thing there about things that took me a long time to learn I was screwing up. That maybe you can learn them earlier in your career instead of waiting so long like I did. Um, but please go check that out, download it, love to have you there. Um, Michael Roth, thank you very much for being on the show. You're a good dude. I'm glad to know you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Walker. You're the man. Appreciate it.